all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have Dr. Kristen Hurt with Magnolia Dermatology, and we're going to be talking dermatology today. So if you have questions about skin health or skin questions in general, we want to hear from you today. You can give us a call. Our number is one mpb ring It's one 672 You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Or as always, you can hop over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop your message there. Good morning, Dr. Hurt. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about Magnolia Dermatology. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, Magnolia Dermatology is located in Clinton, Mississippi, and we are going on being open for five years this summer. It's me and my partner, Dr. Patrick Bowler, who's also a board-certified dermatologist, and we have a wonderful PA, Hannah Price, that works with us. And uh, interestingly, we're excited to be announcing that we're starting a second location this summer that will be actually in Jackson. And we'll be adding another dermatologist, and we're just really excited and appreciative of our patients that have allowed us to grow. That's fantastic that y'all have had such great success and that now you're being able to expand to reach more folks. I know as a primary care provider, I'm always looking for a dermatologist to, to send folks to. You know, it's one of the most common things to come in the primary care office. But it's also sometimes one of the more challenging things to to diagnose um, from a from a primary care standpoint because everything causes a rash. I mean, there's just lots of rashes <laughs> out there, and so I know I see it a ton um, in practice. And and usually it's very easy to treat things, but there are definitely things that require you guys to help us take care of that. So with that being said, I thought it would be kind of a great way to start the show to say, you know, what is kind of the, the biggest skin-related issue or thing that you see this time of the year? So in the, in the cooler months, colder winter-type months, mm-hmm. um, especially down here in Mississippi. Sure. So I think I would have to put it at a pretty even tie right now between dry skin issues which have been compounded by all the hand washing we've been doing and hand sanitizer um, tied with maskne which is uh, breakouts that people complain about from wearing masks like we've been doing so 
pretty much 50-50 with those two. Absolutely. And and I, that's what I see as well in primary care. And that's what people message me about all the time. Of course, I've got the dry skin on the hands going on as well. You know, it's it's very it's weird because either my hands are being washed or my hands are in gloves. You know, that's kind of the two things. So they go yeah. from being sweaty inside of a, a pair of, you know, um, exam gloves to then being washed and sanitized. And so it's, they're never comfortable is, is what I'd go with on my hands there. And I think that that, especially for folks who have not been as accustomed to washing their hands as much, um, that is definitely a change in what's, you know, what's going on with their skin. So do you have any kind of tips for that, that dry skin, especially on the hands that since we're washing and sanitizing so much more? Yes. Um, really the same tips for the hands also apply to just general skin dryness anywhere on your body. And the first is to try your best to use cleansers that are more on the mild side. So for the body, I tend to ask patients what they use. A lot of them are very routinely using things like dial or maybe lever or Irish string that they maybe started using many, many years ago, but we Skin is a little bit less uh, sure it gets drier. So the older you are, the more likely it is that you need to probably change that soap you've used forever to something a little milder. And I usually recommend Dove soap for sensitive skin. Now for hands, that's a little trickier because um, hand soap, you don't, don't get as much choice in what you're using depending on the location, if you're at work or whatever. But if you're at home, one thing I say is don't use your dishwashing soap <laughs> to wash your dishwashing liquid is designed to take all the oil and grease off your pots and pans and it will take all of the oil and moisture out of your skin as well so avoid that for sure use a milder soap um and then did you have a question about moisturizers you want to talk about that yeah absolutely and i i want to make sure that we really hit on what you said about being careful about the kind of the harshness of the soaps that that you may be using especially on your body you know, uh, Dial is one of the more popular soaps that we see out there because it says antibacterial on the side. You don't, yeah. you don't really, you don't really need that. And it's just, it's mm -hmm. very harsh for the skin. Messes with the pH balance. Okay. If you've got kiddos mm -hmm. that have eczema and they wash mm -hmm. with Dial, it will just flare that eczema every single time, and they will come in just itching and scratching, and you know, making the whole thing worse. So I too. Mm -hmm. um, really like um, Dove unscented um, for sensitive skin. It just really does, does well um, for that. Now, after we've, we've cleansed, how do we moisturize? Okay. So um, moisturizing is important. And um, I feel like the common moisturizer brands that we see on the shelves are not always the best um, for most are just the top two recommended brands that we tell our patients to get. Uh, one is Cetaphil and one is CeraVe. Um, that's C-E-R-A-V-E. -E. Um, so those two brands are available at Walmart and Kroger and drugstores, but they may not be right in front of your face. You might have to kind of look along the shelves for them. And I also recommend that you choose uh, the cream instead of the lotion. Lotions come in pumps and 
you'll think, oh, that's the easy, convenient way, but they're based much more on water-based. So they're more liquidy type and they don't moisturize quite as well. So if you go with a moisturizer that's more cream-based, more in a jar, sometimes the jars do have pumps, which is nice, um, you're going to get better moisturizing that way. Absolutely. And, you know, I often forget to moisturize during the day, but I usually always make sure before bedtime to to slather some on, but, you know, before I get in the bed so it can kind of soak in, um, soak in overnight before I start the process of all that hand washing again the next day. Now, I do often see people who have oily skin on their face. And mm-hmm. so they ask, do I need a moisturizer since my face is already oily, you know, and what's mm-hmm. the, the benefit of doing that? Sure. Um, the answer to that is that it, If you are going outside during the day, I always recommend a light moisturizer for your face that contains an SPF. Um, And we want it to be at least an SPF 30 for adequate protection. And so there are, again, the same brands that I already mentioned, the Cetaphil and CeraVe. They're what we call non-comedogenic, which just means they don't form comedones, which means acne bumps. Okay, so I don't know why they made it such a kind of big confusing term (laughs) they should have put doesn't cause acne but uh, both of those brands moisturizers should not clog pores or cause oily patients to feel more oily Um, the facial moisturizers specifically are are made just to hydrate without too much oil production that's a that's a great one because it can seem kind of counter counterproductive like my face is already moist why would I add more on there but that does piggyback mm-hmm. on a sec on a question that actually came in um, through Facebook, and it said, "Do I need to wear sunscreen during the winter?" And so that kind of piggybacks onto you saying SPF in in your moisturizer. So, are we supposed to be wearing sunscreen all the time, regardless of the season? Mm-hmm. So one one way. We don't have to, I mean, this is just logical, but we don't have to put as much sunscreen on our arms, legs, backs, and chest. Because when we're under a walker, you walk a couple miles a day, and where you're being more covered than in the middle of the summer in your tank top and shorts. So you can skip the sunscreen if you have clothing covering the skin, <laughs> right? So that makes sense. So there you get a little break on your sunscreen use, but really on the face, it's just an excellent habit to make that daily sunscreen use just part of your morning routine. And then through the day, even your incidental driving in your car, the sun's coming in through the window, all that sun exposure um, you're protected from. So we do know that UV exposure is a little less in winter than summer, but it's also cumulative the damage you get from uv rays just add to itself your entire life and so it is important to protect your skin in winter as you would in summer yeah absolutely and you mentioned at least an spf of about 30 um 30 or higher 30 or higher and tell Mm -hmm. us like what spf mean like what is that what's that number what's the 30 mean so uh Yeah, so it has to do, it's called sun protection factor, and they test this actually when they, you know, rate sunscreens by applying a much thicker layer than we in real life tend to apply. But they actually put on people and expose them to UV rays, and they look to see um, 
you know, how quickly they sunburn and they, they give it a rate. It's, it's a process in production of the sunscreen. Um, so, but because we tend to put on thinner layers um, of sunscreen when we apply it in your brain, you almost should reduce it by half. Like if you're putting on a 30 in your brain, you should feel like you just put on a 15 unless you're putting it on super thick. So that's why we kind of recommend a 30 all the time. But if you are doing a super, um, you know, an activity where you're going to get a lot of UV exposure, like fishing, um, you know, tennis, golf, uh, going to be at the beach, that kind of thing, I usually recommend a 50 or 60 SPF, you know, because you just need more protection for those type of activities. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. I'm joined today by Dr. Kristen Hurt. She is a dermatologist at Magnolia Dermatology, and we are answering your skin-related questions today. You've got a couple of ways that you can get a question to us. You can give us a call. Our number is one mpb ring You can send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can drop a message over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. And we do have a caller on the line. I'm going to go to Columbus and talk with George this morning. Hello, George. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. I had my oh. first COVID. I had my first COVID shot on the ninth, and about okay. the, about the thirteenth, my body has broken out in hives. Hmm. I've never had hives before, so the only difference in my lifestyle has been that COVID, COVID shot. What do I do about hives? And have you ever tried not to scratch an itch? <laughs> it is hard not to scratch an itch, absolutely. Dr. Hart, tell us about hives. Okay, sure. So um, hives are an allergic reaction, and the main thing that happens is your skin releases a lot of histamine. It makes those itchy whelps that you cannot resist scratching. Um, so the best remedy for hives are actually antihistamines. And thankfully, most of those are available over the counter. Um, brands such as Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra are considered non-drowsy brands. 
and medications. And then, um, of course, Benadryl is kind of the gold standard antihistamine, although it makes a lot of patients drowsy. And so when I have a patient come in for hives, I generally choose Zyrtec for them and recommend they, they do it once a day, as the box says. But uh, if you came in and saw me and we could double check, it would be safe for you. Sometimes we do go a little higher on the dose um, if we feel like it's safe for you to do that. Um, can't really recommend that over the radio, but hives generally respond nicely to antihistamine. So that would be your number one. There are also kind of anti-itch That brand I mentioned, CeraVe, makes a nice anti-itch lotion that will at least give you a leaf. Um, and most cases of hives uh, do resolve kind of on usually, uh, hate to say this long time frame, but within six weeks, but it, it could be sooner. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's where I would go first would be the drugstore to get some antihistamines. Thank and you very George, much. absolutely. Yeah. Just piggyback You're on that. Welcome. If you haven't reached out to, you know, your primary care provider or, you know, whoever does your regular health care. I would suggest doing that just for guidance about whether they're going to want you to get the second COVID vaccine. You know, this is six days out um, from your COVID vaccine. So it is a, a little bit of a, a longer window than what we usually see people having, you know, a rash associated with a vaccine, but, you know, never say never. Um, but I would just recommend kind of reaching back out to them to see what their guidance is for you moving forward about getting the second COVID vaccine. And of course, if you ever developed any type of kind of respiratory symptom with it, like shortness of breath or felt like your throat was itching or getting tight or any of those kinds of things, that is an emergency visit that you would need to, to proceed with to your nearest ER. All right. Thank you. Thank you, George. All right, guys, if you want to give us a call, our number is one mpb ring All right, we have a question um, through Facebook that says, how often should you dermaplane? And is it best to have it done professionally? Or can you just kind of, you know, do it, do it at home and get the same results? So, Dr. Hurt, first, for people who may not know, what is dermaplaning? That is a great question. And dermaplaning um, has actually become quite a popular uh, procedure or treatment to have done. And it, uh, it means taking generally in the office with a trained esthetician or nurse provider doing this for you, but taking kind of a medical grade blade and gently exfoliating the skin of the face to remove dead skin cells, it generally removes um, those soft kind of fine hairs on the face that we call vellus hairs that everybody has. And it just ends up giving the skin a really smooth, soft surface um, after the treatment is done. So how, if one does choose to dermaplane, how often should that occur? Okay. Um, I would say probably the the shortest interval that I would do would be about every two weeks. Um, often patients will do it once a month or so to kind of refresh that nice smooth surface. But um, if you were doing it more frequently, that you could probably cause too much irritation to the skin. Um, just like exfoliating too much can actually cause problems. So it is an exfoliating type procedure and, and probably should be spaced out. Um, the other question about doing it at home is kind of an interesting one. I do recommend that patients exfoliate at home sometimes with 
uh, mild scrubs and that kind of thing. But uh, a professional dermaplaning involves cleansing of the skin to prepare it for the treatment and also kind of post-treatment application of uh, topical products to help the skin respond well. Um, my concern with shaving your face kind of at home, particularly, if, you know, for women, we don't have that coarse hair generally, um, would be shaving irritation, which could lead to kind of infection on the skin if you had a lot of open wounds and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, depending on the type of razor that you're using, not even, you know, most of them don't even kind of get to that level where they would get that exfoliation from the the top layer of the skin. And if you tried to do that, you probably would damage and, and injure your skin. You know, I've seen dermaplaning done a couple of times. And I mean, it is a medically grade, very sharp scalpel blade, essentially, that is is used to do that with very specific traction on the skin so that there's no you know damage uh, being done to the skin there. So I would absolutely recommend if you're going to do it, that it occur with, um, you know, a trained provider, like you mentioned, an esthetician um, or, you know, a trained uh, nurse or, you know, PA and P in a, in a dermatology office to get, get that done correctly for you. But great question. All right, we're going to go over to the phone and talk with Jim in Madison. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. I have a um, question that doesn't relate to dermatology. I hope that's okay. <laughs> well, we'll give it our best go. <laughs> Tell me what we can I'm, help I'll you be, with. I'll be 75 next month, and, and so I'm well familiar with the dermatological problems with, with my thinning skin, et cetera. I have those, you know, I wake up and have those. Where did that come from on my that's skin? That's right. So, New spots. <laughs> 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 Anyway, I started the first of this month a low-carbohydrate diet, and um, it's working really well. I've lost about eight and a half pounds in 25 okay. days. Um, but I've gotten very interested in nutrition labels at the grocery, and I, I see a lot of products touting net carbs. But mm -hmm. when you look at the nutrition label, the actual amount of carbohydrates is way more than what the net carbs say. Right. My question is, is net carbs really a thing or is that just hype from the food producers? Well, it's a thing, um, but what they're getting at with, with net carbs is, so when we talk about carbohydrates, kind of a big umbrella uh, where we have starches and sugars and fiber, kind of all those fall under, under the carbohydrate umbrella. And the fiber part is usually not absorbed by the body, right? So there's two kinds of fiber, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, and they have a, you know different roles. One of them kind of turns kind of goopy, like think about if you put um, milk on your oatmeal and let it sit, that kind of gets that stickiness to it. Um, and that uh, is helpful in decreasing cholesterol. And then you've got the, the insoluble part that I kind of think about like a scrub brush or a broom that's kind of helping to sweep um, things that we don't need out of our you know, GI tract. So that helps with colon cancer um, prevention as well as the patient prevention. Um, and so since they're not usually absorbed, a lot of people don't count them in their kind of total carbohydrate count because they're not active, so to speak, in raising blood sugar or any of those other kinds of things. So that's where that kind of net carb comes from. But you should be able to look at what the total carb is and then what 
the fiber count is and whatever they're touting as the net carb should you should be able to subtract the fiber from the total carbs and and get that net carb number there is where they're getting it from so it's a thing but people kind of push it a little bit more than I would like to see it pushed you know they put stuff on the front of packages <laughs> to uh to catch our eye and distract us and go oh look it's super healthy uh and so you know I just always think to myself should this have fiber in it or have they added this to the product you know that that kind of thing um, so, you know, when I look at pasta, pasta is supposed to have carbs in it. So, you know, but if I look at beef jerky and it's like uh, negative net carbs, well, there's not carbs in meat. So, you know, that that's a marketing, <laughs> a marketing ploy for you there. So, yes, it's a thing. Um, but, you know, I don't get too hung up on it. Uh, we just want to choose fiber rich foods. So you mentioned a low carb diet. We want to make sure that, you know, that we're not getting rid of carbs in general. We're getting rid of um, processed carbs and, and things that we don't necessarily need, but still making sure that we eat lots of fruits and vegetables for that fiber as well uh, for the vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that are present in those um, foods. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's very helpful. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC. And joining me today, I have Dr. Kristen Hurt. She's a dermatologist with Magnolia Dermatology. And we've been answering your skin-related questions today. You can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. Drop us an email, fit at mpbonline.org. Or head over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message there. All right, we do have a caller on the line. We're going to go talk to Marsha in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. Thank you. I had a dermatology question. I was interested in the prevention of crepey skin. Yes. All right. So okay, let's talk about Marcia, crepey you, skin. <laughs> you got a tough one. You've got a tough one there. So I'm going to take it all the way back to childhood and say that um, sun protection is your number one uh, way of preventing crepey skin. But um, 
you know, that's not the only thing because as we age, our skin thins naturally, whether it's sun damaged skin or not. And that's because we stop making the same levels of collagen. In fact, that begins in our thirties. Um, and so we are breaking down more collagen than we're making. So how do we fix that problem? Um, I, I think the best, the first thing I recommend to patients, first off, is to moisturize daily. Um, and those two brands I mentioned earlier in the show, the CeraVe starts with a C and Cetaphil with a C, um, their creams are my favorite moisturizer cream brands. Um, if you want to step it up from there, there are products sold, you know, in our office or through a, a dermatology office that are going to have more ingredients that um, help your skin actually make more collagen to fix the crepiness. Um, for instance, in our office, there's one called Revision Body Firm or for the neck, it's called Nectifirm. Um, so there are products out there. I just would not go online and start buying things with these amazing before and afters, uh, because most of the time those are just, uh, a waste of money. But if you are using a reputable, uh, skincare clinic, a dermatology practice, that kind of thing, then they, sh they should have products that would be well worth your money that actually have been shown to help your skin regenerate that collagen. Excellent. All right. Thank you so Thank much, you. Marcia. That You're welcome. Thanks so mm -hmm. much for giving us a call. All right. We have a uh, question that came in about lichen sclerosis. And it says her mom has lichen sclerosis. And she had read that people were at an increased risk for squamous cell carcinoma in areas where they have this condition. Um, and is there anything that they need to be looking for specifically or any kind of preventive measures or treatments that are available for that? So what, first of all, what's lichen sclerosis? Uh, so lichen sclerosis is an uncommon condition of the skin. That's an inflammatory type condition. And uh, th it often affects the genital area. Um, for females and uh, more common in females than males, but it, it causes an itching or burning sensation to the skin. And when examined, the skin often has a, a thinned look, maybe slightly scar-like look to it. Sometimes there's some redness around, that kind of thing. Um, so it is true that chronically over long periods of time, um, that skin that has that inflammation going on for years and years has a slightly higher risk of developing a skin cancer, specifically squamous cell. Um, I would say the two things I would recommend that you do. One is to make sure that you visit your dermatologist on the re a regular basis so that they can examine those areas for you and first treat them to help the inflammation be treated so it, you will do better, but also help you to monitor for that skin cancer. But at home monitoring, you would be looking for area of the skin that might form a an open sore or a wound type place that just wouldn't heal. Okay, so that would, it, it would possibly be more painful or tender there and um, basically a change to how the rash has looked in the past would prompt you to go have that checked out by your dermatologist. I generally also have, uh, you know, the ABGYN monitor as well, kind of in a partnership with that. So both, both of those things are important. 
That's fantastic. And is there a treatment for lichen sclerosis or is it just one of those things that we have to kind of deal with? No, absolutely. We do treat it. Um, Usually we treat it with high dose uh, prescription topical steroid creams first. Um, But it's a very delicate situation because the skin is there is naturally thin and, and steroid medicines can cause thinning. I really require some monitoring kind of with uh, you know, a dermatologist to help you know how much is going to stop all of Yeah. All right. Great. All right, so we have a caller on the line. We will go to Mobile and talk with Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Hi. Um, I just had a quick question about um, moisturizing. I currently use um, olive oil sometimes just on my face as a moisturizer, and I just wash my face with water, and my skin does pretty Mm -hmm. well. Um, But the reason for that is because my skin... um, it's like allergic to life, <laughs> and so I, I try not to use anything on it. Um, I'm allergic to sunscreen, and most moisturizers have sunscreen in it. And so I was just wondering, what other ways could I um, work on moisturizing um, and how to, like, incorporate collagen, as you were speaking of, um, because I will be reaching mm-hmm. 30. And, um, you know, I just want to preserve my beauty as much as possible. Fantastic. All right. What you got, Dr. Hurt? Yeah, that's a great, great question, Catherine. So, um, you know, when you have sensitive skin, you do have to be careful of the products that you use. Um, I am not opposed to you using the olive oil on your skin as long as you're not acne prone and it doesn't seem to clog pores. Um, you know, oil-based moisturizers have actually come to be more popular, you know, over the last several years. And I've not seen a lot of problems with patients that choose to use those. Um, so you're, you're good there. I would say that on the side, um, what I find is a lot of patients pick up sunscreen and, and they don't always know the difference between the different chemicals that are in sunscreens. So sunscreen can be divided into physical sunscreens and ingredients. And these are usually on the bottle. When you flip it over, it'll say active ingredients. It will give you that list. And the physical sunscreens actually just sit on your skin. They're not really absorbed. So they're much better since there are two ingredients that are physical sunscreens. One is zinc and one is titanium. So zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. So, you know, you can tell from the names that they are, they're kind of like little metallic type particles, but they really kind of have more of a white, whitish tint to them. But they sit on your skin and they don't really go into the skin to cause your irritation. There are many, many, many chemical sunscreens um, with many different names. So I couldn't list all of those to avoid, but basically you look for something that only contains the zinc or the titanium dioxide. So um, in our office, we carry a brand called LCMD that just has 
really nice, elegant sunscreen, so it's quite tasty. Um, but over-the-counter brands that I tend to like would be Neutrogena, uh, maybe Aveeno, but they still often have the chemicals. So you literally have to flip the one over. Um, you might start by looking for baby sunscreen for babies or children. Sunscreen often is physical or if it says sensitive skin, but you still have to do your own research to flip the bottle over and look for the actual ingredients. Um, and that, that could potentially allow you to find a sunscreen that your skin does not react to. Um, and um, if there was more to that question, I might have lost it. <laughs> I think she mentioned the <laughs> collagen, but you, you kind of mentioned that there are some uh, brands that are kind of carried by dermatology clinics that would probably be the, the best way to, to start instead of maybe, a, you know, those infomercials will get you in the middle of the night wanting you to, to, to order some of those things. And so at least a consultation with the dermatologist to, to get that looked at and uh, recommendations made there because you want to make sure that there, that you get the right product for your skin, that not, not just collagen, but that it, you know, it's the, the right thing for your skin type and uh, you, you know, the moisture level of your skin there. So always consult with your, with your dermatologist there. All right, Catherine, thank you so much. I'm glad she's planning ahead. I like that. Yes, yes, yes. I know. As someone who has passed that 30-year mark, I'm like, <laughs> dang it. I am I'm, I'm over the hump of the, the collagen thing. Well, I got to come see you and get, get something from my neck. Get All right, guys. <laughs> yeah, we've got, well, let's do one quick question from Facebook before we take our um, Next break um, says the tops of my toes sometimes get red and purple and sometimes itch. Um, any ideas? And so, well, I've got a couple um, which would need a you know a little bit more information is when they're in shoes or when they're you know out. And is it only if your toes get cold and, and those kinds of things? Because that could be different things going on there. Um, absolutely, you know type of shoe that you may be wearing if it's putting pressure on on the area and irritating it you know allergies to you know the type of material that your sock is made out of or is it holding too much moisture there that kind of thing dr hurt what do you think yeah i agree i think probably my number one question there would be is it temperature related because there certainly are some autoimmune or even just normal physiologic responses that our skin changes color related to uh, particularly colder temperatures. Um, so that if that's what they mean by that, that might be the answer, but, um, you know, it, it could even be something so far different from that as like, you know, a uh, fungal infection, mm -hmm. you know, uh, athlete's foot, um, if it's burning, itching kind of problem on, on the toes that might need to be checked on as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great question. Not not quite enough information there for us to, to say either way. And so if you're tracking it at home, you know, think about the, those kinds of questions that we just asked on the air and what what your healthcare provider is likely going to ask you when you go. You know, when does it happen? How long does it last for? Is there any burning associated with it? Is there any kind of rash or dry skin or flaking? Those kinds of things. But absolutely, definitely get it checked out um, and, and get a correct diagnosis there so we know how to help you. Absolutely. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. 
For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with Dr. Kristen Hurt, and we are answering your skin-related questions today, and I'm going to hop right on over to the phone lines because we've got several folks waiting for us. I'm going to start with Peggy and Collins. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning. Um, Does sunscreen get old? I've been using a use product because it has a higher SPF, and sometimes it stings. Um, does it is does the products need to be thrown out? Yeah. Um, so great question, Peggy. And the answer is definitely a resounding yes. Um, it, it's important to throw out the old sunscreen because I was just talking about in, a minute ago, uh, a lot of sunscreens are chemical based. And so the longer they sit on your shelf, they're, they're mixed in with preservatives and things that they test to make sure they can make that sunscreen last as long as the bottle says. But if you go past that date, the chemical may have broken down or changed and it either one could no longer be active. So it would actually not be protecting you, but also the the degradation of the active ingredients could actually cause a little stinging reaction, like you mentioned, because it's, um, it's changed a little bit. So I would look at those bottles and I do this myself because I tend to uh, have a lot of sunscreen at my house (laughs) year to year. And it's important, you know, to check the back and and get rid of the older products and replace them. Fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us a call, Peggy. All right, we're going to get down to Alabama and talk with Debbie. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I was trying to get off speakerphone, but anyway, um, <laughs> and I didn't. And I, anyway, uh, if, if you do a full body check, you know, your initial visit where you're doing a full body scan, I call it, how long do you typically take, you think? For kind of a full body skin check? Yes, ma'am. Okay. As in how long in the office does the, the process actually take? Is that the question? Yes, and do you use special lights and magnifying lenses? And uh, I know you check every every inch. They say. <laughs> um, yes. Well, the reason yeah, I asked, my uh, husband had a check. My husband was checked last year. Uh huh. And the the doctor he went to was in our area and took a very short length of time and barely touched him and didn't use any magnifying glasses or anything. And how, I'm just a little disappointed in that visit. I don't think it was a thorough exam. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'd love to answer that question. So um, for me personally, I generally have the patient um, leave their underwear on 
for women, they can lay on or take it off. It, it, it's personal preference. And then we have like hospital type gowns that we put the patient in. And when I come in the room, I start by the hands and the arms. Okay. And we check that. And then we have you extend your legs and in a chair and I, and I check the legs and then I have you stand up so I can see the backs of the legs. Check the back. Usually ask permission, but we check the butt. Um, then you and then move, have you sit back down to check the upper chest, the face, the scalp. Um, and I didn't mention, but we check between the toes and on the bottoms of the feet. Um, so all of those areas, it, it is a very thorough check. Uh, a magnifying glass is really sort of a personal preference of the dermatologist. There are newer uh, devices now called dermatoscopes, and I do personally use one, um, but they were not around if you didn't train, I don't know, say you didn't, if you were, if you trained prior to like 10 years ago, it really wasn't part of your training. And really all it does is kind of just uh, show a little different image when you look through it. So those who train before that, they, they are very adept at their visual skills. And believe it or not, for a dermatologist who does this day in, day out, doesn't take long for our minds to pick up what's abnormal. Um, and so okay. I, I kind of, I don't know the specific example with your husband, but it, you know, I can look at a back pretty quickly and know this mole doesn't look right. It doesn't take, you know, a, a very long time. I would say even my exams, and I feel like I am a thorough examiner, um, probably take about seven minutes maybe for a okay. full body. And then there's discussion okay. and, and treatment and things take longer. But um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> well, it, it just, I feel a little better, I guess. I just was concerned that there wasn't a lot of hands-on when he came back, he was a little disappointed. He thought there would be more close-up look. But maybe but he has a lot of dark spots on his arms, and I guess that's what he was uh -huh. really starting out with. But anyway, you helped, so that's good. Yes. Good, you know, good, good. I, I will also reassure you on that. You know, it, the patients that we see in the South, Alabama and Mississippi, uh, have so many sunspots and age spots type things. Um that really our dermatology training, especially the longer you do it, your mind really is pretty quickly able to differentiate those background sunspots that are just normal skin changes of, of aging and sun exposure um, versus the, the moles that need to be looked at very closely. Um, so, you know, again, I can't speak for that particular provider, but um, if, if he was not pleased, you know, check another dermatologist, check online reviews, you know, talk to friends and find out if, if they felt like they were examined thoroughly and, and, you know, you're welcome to make a change there. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll just second that. A lot of times we, we go through things pretty quickly, but we're, we're checking the boxes in our head, you know, during that, that exam that, that we're doing. And so it may not look like we did a whole lot, uh, but we mm -hmm. went through all the, all the steps in our head, but seconding that, that, you can always get a second opinion, um, you know, and always have a, a second uh, look through that skin there to see how how that goes. All right, guys. Wow. We are just about out of time. If you were hanging on for us and didn't get to talk with us, please send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And we'll be happy to get your question to Dr. Hurt so that she can help us answer it. So in this kind of last minute that we have, you mentioned maskne at the beginning. So this, this acne mm -hmm. associated with a mask, how, what's your number one tip for that? 
Sure. So um, I'll say two things. One is washing your face really diligently and regularly. And the second is washing the mask that you're wearing really diligently and regularly. I know we're all guilty of having one in the and that same one on over and over. But yes, your breath in that mask is is generating bacteria that are just hanging out there. All the oil from your face is getting coated on that mask. So there are so many ways that that mask is generating more problems for your skin. Um, one particular wash that you can look for over the counter um, that I find helpful for a lot of patients is that brand CeraVe has, has made a new, um, I believe it's called Foaming Acne Cleanser. But it's a foaming and it says acne in there, but the, it has a low dose benzyl peroxide, which is an ingredient that helps kill bacteria and clear pores. Um, but for most patients, it's not too harsh or drying on their skin. Um, and so I like that as just kind of a, a, a single step that you that might be helpful. And then, of course, if that doesn't solve the problem, you come see me. Acne is, is my thing and I enjoy seeing patients and helping them clear up. So we'd be help, happy to look at more uh, prescription options if needed. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.